Hello and welcome to an informed live radio on 1150 AM KKNW in the greater Puget Sound region and also streaming live on CHD TV. I'm Bernadette Pager, your host, and my co-host today is Javier Figueroa coming from Washington State. Hello, Javier. Hello, Bernadette. Always good to see you. Uh, How's life in the Pacific Northwest today? Still cold. I can't believe it's May. And, you know, it's uh, windy, chilly with occasional uh, cloud breaks. Mm. Uh, So it's been it's going to be a cold summer for us. Ah, Yeah, I I experienced a few of those in the past myself when I was there. Um, We were in the 90s today. Had a little bit of thunderstorm yesterday and probably (laughs) tomorrow. So it's it's a whole different world. Yeah. We have a big, beautiful country with all kinds of weather from sea to shining sea. It's a, it's amazing. And then we have joining us today, Javier, we've got the beautiful Alex Meyer coming to us from California. Hi, Alex. Thank you, gorgeous. It's so nice Yay. to be here again, Bernadette and oh. Javier. Yeah, it's been too long. So I'll refresh people's mind. You are with, are you uh, like, I'm not sure the titles that you have there. You're head of the California chapter of um, Children's at the Fence. I'm not. Um, oh, I'm you're not. not. Yeah. <laughs> we, um, there are some people who were asked to start the California chapter for Children's Health Defense. I was one of those people, and we did mm. that. And so I went back to just serving on the national board right now. Oh. But I am still very involved in California because I live in California. You live in California. Yeah. Okay. Actually, just had a huge protest against Facebook yesterday, if you think that your listeners might want to hear about it. Oh, absolutely. Before we do that, though, I want to give a I want to give a plug for the awesome people in California running CHD. So who who's running CHD California? The person running CHD California is the wonderful Denise Young, who's actually staying at my house right now. And she's on the other side of my closed door. (laughs) (laughs) Tell her to pop her head in and say hello if she wants. Let me get her to do a cameo. Okay, very cool. I love that impromptu, bring in Denise Young. Um, There's just so many great people uh, throughout the country, Javier, right? And actually throughout the world that are stepping up um, to take roles, to take the responsibility, to be visible. And it's really fantastic how every day it seems like there's a new organization, there's a new um, uh, outlet a new platform that allows people to speak freely. We're recreating the world. And I don't want to call it alternative though. You know, we want, we want to be the new mainstream, you know, this is, this is the creation of a conscious reality. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. (laughs) Hi Bernadette. Hi. Welcome. Thank you for making a cameo as it were. (laughs) So She's that you asked who was running the California chapter and Denise Young is the person running the California chapter just beautifully. I can't believe how much she juggles and I don't know when she sleeps. I don't know when she takes care of her kids, <laughs> but she does everything for the chapter and keeps it running so smoothly and we get so much good feedback and she's staying at my house right now. So oh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alex. Well, you know, I, I certainly can't take all that credit. 
It is a collective effort. And Alex is by my side every day making it happen at the chapter. And we're just fighting, you know, for the rights of children and, and our mm-hmm. families. Um, it's, it's so important, but we, it's a team effort and we're all doing it together. Yeah, exactly. Well, I want to let you know that we here at Inform Life Radio um, and across the country are very grateful for your your service, your devotion, your passion, um, and all your time. It just it takes individuals like you stepping up to make all of this work. And and Javier and I were just, Javier and I were just saying how it's amazing how many people are rising up and all these new faces. And you were probably in the movement before, and I just never we never connected, you know. Um, but, and then we have new people as well. And it's pretty exciting. We're not alone anymore. We are not alone. No, we're not. And we even had staying with us here also, this 22 year old who works for Children's Health Defense National, who is streaming the event. And, you know, this is going to be her life's work now, starting at age 22. Wow. Can you say her name? Is it? Claire, uh, we don't oh, know her last name. Claire. Okay. Yay, Claire. <laughs> she works yeah. at the national organization and she was, uh, riding with the, the truckers as well on the convoy. Oh, okay. She was streaming every day from there. Long, dark, curly hair? No. Uh, no, somebody oh, else. Okay. Yeah, long, yeah. dark, curly hair. Yeah, it is curly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I may <laughs> learn some of the. Yeah. yeah. No, she's incredible. But what I think to Alex's point, the fact that, you know, the younger generations are stepping in and are understanding what's going on and they're wake, awakening you know, this is, we're handing it over to them because this is for them to take the torch now and, and run with it. That's very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. So um, were both of you yesterday at the big event, the big Facebook trial going on in the rally? Okay. We we were, um, Denise kicked it off with her speech and we had Robert F. Kennedy Jr. come in and Naomi Wolf. And this was not a children's health defense event. It was put on by Humanity Against Censorship. Ooh, nice. Do you want to tell them what Facebook did with their sign? Oh, oh yes. So um, Facebook uh, had their big sign in front of their corporate office, which is where we were. Um, And then when the day before we were there, it was still Facebook. It was still the thumbs up. And then when we got there, the day we got there, they changed it to their meta marking, which is their meta brand, which is the one that targets the younger demographic. Yeah. So they knew we were coming. They changed the sign to meta because they don't want any association with protesters who are, you know, against censorship aligned with associated with their meta brand. So all of the pit photos and everything that we did was with the traditional Facebook uh, branding, which is targets the older demographic. So they were very clever in how they did that. Wow. Except for now you've got more photos of the new sign and the new logo. And so we can begin, um, you know, making sure everybody knows that meta is Facebook is the whole thing. You know, you can't hide a rose by any other name. <laughs> exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So we have to say goodbye to Denise already. She has a meeting. Sorry. Okay. But- waiting for me. <laughs> so thank you. It was so nice to meet oh, you. It was nice to meet you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. So Denise actually explained more about this Facebook thumbs up sign versus the meta sign. And there's this tourist trap at Facebook mm. and their headquarters is at one hacker way in Menlo park, California. <laughs> And that's what it's called. Yeah. And there's this huge sign. Everybody comes as this tourist destination and they go stand in front of the Facebook sign, which has always been just a thumbs up 
and get their picture taken. But it, they had changed it to the Meta sign when they renamed themselves to Meta and they, you know, um, took in Instagram as, as an acquisition, et cetera. But then literally, like, they knew we were coming. It, it seems like they knew we were coming because the day of the protest, they changed it to the thumbs up sign. And Denise is a marketing genius. And so she's like, okay, so if I were the PR person at Facebook, I would do that because Meta is the brand that appeals to the younger people. And we're trying to appeal more to the younger people. Yeah. And so we don't want these protesters taking their um, pictures in front of the Meta sign. Oh, so just the day of the protest, they put they the it back. back, which, gotcha. which is okay. more, more of the symbol that targets the older demographic. And Denise said that younger people even think that Facebook is for grandparents now. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. I thought it was just the place for parents and you don't want to be seen by your parents, but apparently like it's the place where grandparents hang out now. So I mean, they're <laughs> really having an image problem. <laughs> well, and the reason for that is that Meta is trying to uh, market exclusively to uh, virtual reality. Mm. So they're oh, trying to go with right. Oculus in, a, in basically a VR world. So that's what the, the distinction that they're going after. Okay, interesting. So we were able to get like, we had hundreds of protesters. Nobody actually took account, but we think we had maybe 600 to 1,000 people there. We got everyone in front of that uh, sign, which was the Facebook thumbs up sign. And the day before when we had gone there, there was, a, there was a security guard. He wasn't letting more than like three or four people stand in front of the sign at a time. And so we got everybody there. Bobby led the way. He was like the Pied Piper. And then Bobby, he's so like, he's such a little kid. He literally climbed a pole, a streetlight pole to get up high and take a picture of the crowd himself. It was <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Is there an article posted somewhere we can go see this imagery? There probably is. Um, well, Claire, who we talked about, she was streaming it to CHD TV. So you can go to CHD TV okay. and look for the Facebook protest there. Okay. And you can see everything. The speeches were unbelievable. This thing was so well run. We had two um, of our ambassadors because in California, the chapter started an ambassador program county mm -hmm. by county. And so we have 58 counties and every one of the most populated counties has a big ambassador team. And so our San Mateo County ambassadors were put in charge of running the protest and they did such a good job. I love that having ambassadors to make sure that message of CHD gets pushed out to every corner of California. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we try to do that in, in Washington with Informed Choice Washington. We have districts and have district leaders. I like the name ambassador. I, I maybe we'll switch over to ambassador. I kind of like the the feeling of that. Yeah. Well, because they're representing children's health defense. So they're really, you know, they we do see them as ambassadors and everything mm -hmm. is so hyper local, especially when we got locked down. Mm -hmm. Every county was so different, as you guys know. We needed the, the hyper local knowledge at the county level and we'd already put the ambassador program in place at the California chapter. And then when the lockdowns hit, uh, we couldn't have been more well served to have these like hyper local knowledgeable people representing CHD. It's mm -hmm. very cool. Very cool. Very much in our favor. And so there's a lawsuit going on there, uh, a censorship lawsuit. Could you update us on what you know about that? Yeah, that's one of the reasons that children's health defense joined this protest that was put on by humanity against censorship because we were just in court against Facebook last Tuesday. And it's such an interesting case because Facebook and a lot of people will argue, well, Facebook is a private company. Therefore, they don't have to abide by free speech. They can decide what speech they want on their platform and what speech they don't want on their platform. But as it turns out, um, they've been directed by our government, everybody from Nancy Pelosi to Adam Schiff, very openly to censor speech. 
and they've named anti-vaccine groups. They've like our, like Children's Health Defense. They've named conservative mm-hmm. groups. And if the government is directing an entity to censor speech, then it is a state actor and they have to abide by the First Amendment. Uh-huh. And so that's our argument in court. And so when we were in court on Tuesday, we were um, arguing against Facebook's motion to dismiss because, of course, they want the judge to dismiss right. the case. That's the easiest way to get rid of it. Um, and we won't have a decision on that for a few months. Um, months. Yeah, I know. Months. I think we get a ruling the same day, but apparently it's going to be a few months. And um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. told me, he said, you know, it was kind of like a, a hostile panel in there. So oh, we'll see you what happens. don't know. Yeah. And especially if they feel like they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. If, if, if the, they should rule in your favor, but the forces for them to rule against you are very strong. They like probably are trying to figure out a way to creatively <laughs> wiggle out of it. But I remember Jen Psaki standing at a mic and telling reporters that they were telling Twitter and Facebook um, who they thought was spreading misinformation. I mean, they were openly admitting that they were collaborating, that they were directing um, them what to do. It's just, yeah. Yeah. And if they openly yeah. do that, you know, they, they risk that these companies become state actors and have to yeah. abide by the First Amendment and therefore they can't control the narrative anymore, which is really mm-hmm. scary. So you wouldn't think they'd be so open about it. it go ahead, Javier. Yeah. It, the other thing to consider is that, uh, you know, by law, they're supposed to treat all people on the platform equally. There shouldn't be any preferential um, uh, use of the, the, the platform. And clearly there That's is. Right. That's so, right. On top yeah, of being a state actor, you're also violating your your the law in, in California as well as federally. Yeah, it's it's. I think it goes back to discrimination law because the only way that um, you're allowed to discriminate these days is by age, because everybody presumably will live to be a certain age as long as you live long enough. And so that's the only kind of um, discrimination we're allowed to do on pricing and access and things like that. Otherwise, there is no legal discrimination allowed. Yeah. Well, for some reason, uh, they don't seem to acknowledge that uh, the discrimination, of course, is happening with opinion, with um, different sides to issues. Right. It's not it doesn't matter your race, creed, color, anything. If you don't align with their messaging, you, they discriminate against you, so it's it's really harder to peg down. It, it's it's a little bit more ephemeral to say how you're being discriminated against because it's the particular messaging. It just takes a lot more words. <laughs> Maybe yeah, we need yeah. a new word to define discrimination based on um, it's thought it's, discrimination. Yeah, it's the ministry. It's the ministry of truth. It really right. is, and you know, and censorship is killing people. We had this wonderful woman um, come. She's in a wheelchair. She was injured by a COVID vaccine, and she can kind of walk, but she said her legs turn into noodles and unexpectedly, so she could just like collapse. And interestingly, that was one of my first symptoms that I had um, when I was vaccine injured. Mm-hmm. My legs turned into noodles. Now mm-hmm. I recovered from that immediately, and I was never in a wheelchair. But it was so interesting to hear her say that her legs turned into noodles because I was like, oh, I've never heard anybody else say that. But it's definitely a vaccine injury that's not specific yeah. to COVID vaccines because I had it. But anyway, back to what yeah. she was saying. Sorry, that was a little side note there. 
um, she had a Facebook group of 19,000 people who had been injured by COVID vaccines, mostly women. Mm -hmm. And they were there to support each other, of course. And I can't tell you, like when you're vaccine injured or you have a chronic illness, your support group is your lifeline. Yeah. And I can say that from personal experience because I was in a group called Spyro Chicks, which um, is based on the word spirochete because at my one of my first diagnoses was Lyme disease. And I'm not sure that plays a big role, if any role in, in my chronic illness anymore. I really think it's mostly or all vaccine injury. But mm-hmm. the Spyro Chicks, that was my lifeline. Mm-hmm. And this was the lifeline for a lot of people who'd been injured by the COVID vaccines. And Facebook shut the group down so they couldn't communicate with each other. And Brie told this heart-wrenching story about a woman who lived near her who was crying out for help. She was so depressed from being COVID vaccine injured and wasn't getting any support from anybody around her because Brie said that she's when she talks about her vaccine injury or this other woman was talking about her vaccine injury, they are called misinformation. Like everything mm-hmm. out of their mouth is misinformation. Mm-hmm. And this woman was desperate for support, couldn't get it, and ended up committing suicide. Mm-hmm. There's... So- there there are so many stories like that. It's so heartbreaking. I had a woman call me from Washington State um, who's injured and was in a support group of, of injured individuals. And I don't remember the exact number, but she knew several people whose injuries were so intense and they felt so helpless that they took their own lives. Um, and the one in particular that I'm remembering is from the, um, what, what's that thing where you, that Gregory, Dr. Gregory Poland has now with the high pitched ringing in the ears that nonstop. Yeah. Tinnitus. Um, one of them had that and, and, and one of the individuals out there, it's really bad and it's worse if she's around electronic modern life equipment. So she's living like out in a cabin with nothing around in order to minimize it. Um, just to stay sane. It's it's horrific that our government has spent trillions developing and pushing these products and not a penny to ensure those who are injured by them are helped. It's just, yeah. It's well, the whole thing. It's criminal. It's crimes against humanity. And yeah, you're talking about the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program, otherwise known as the CICP. <laughs> and historically, that has only compensated 3% of people who apply to the program. You can't have a lawyer. There's no court. You All you do, you fill out a, a form and an administrator decides if your injury qualifies. And still to this date, as far as I know, there've been no injuries compensated through the CICP. I know that there was one, one claim that they said was approved and pending, but nobody knows if that's for like remdesivir or some other like COVID yeah. measure. We don't know if it's yeah. for a COVID shot. Right. And well, but it, it, even the, the compensation program is is basically useless and it's too late. They're, they're sending out money to all the states, millions to every state to combat vaccine hesitancy. We need somebody at every single ER and clinic in this nation that is educated on the potential injuries caused by these shots. So when people call or show up, they can be helped now, not a year from now to have their expenses paid. We need them help now. And it's our community, our community of brilliant doctors and scientists and individuals coming together, sharing the stories, and then bless the FLCCC, the Frontline COVID-19 uh, Critical Care Alliance. Yeah. Those not only did they come up with protocols that work to prevent Um, infection and prevent severe disease to COVID, they have now turned their attention to COVID vaccine injury. 
And they're working with so many people collaborating to come up with and continue to evolve um, healing protocols to help them recover. And we've got Dr. Um, Henry Ely, Dr. H in yeah. Oregon, who's doing what he can to, to forge the path to help the vaccine injured and so many other wonderful people. But our government is doing nothing. No, they're not. They're not doing anything no. to help us no. at all. And they keep finding all this. They're like printing money for the CARES Act, sending all that money to schools to force um, illegal vaccine mandates and um, mm -hmm. elementary and secondary schools and the colleges. And by the way, I have to track back to Henry Ely. He's just he's a great friend and colleague of mine. Mm -hmm. And um, he was vaccine injured also when he was younger. His mm -hmm. father carried him limp into the emergency room. Mm -hmm. um, because he had such a bad vaccine injury and he um, even still today, he's um, prone to seizures. So he mm -hmm. wears um, glasses when he's on camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bless that man. And his experience drove him, you know, he, he took the lemons and made lemonade. That was his gift to the world. His lemonade yep. is right. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and you just hear his story about why he became a naturopath. Also, it was when his, his mother was dying of cancer and some of her dying words to Dr. Henry Ely were, you you be a doctor, you grow up and you do this right because the system isn't doing it right. Wow. Wow. I need and to I go. Actually when I think already an adult. I'm sorry. He was actually a NASA scientist already. Yeah. <laughs> and so it wasn't really when you grow up, but I want you to become a doctor was the message. Yeah. And yeah. he did. Yeah. I, he, he's, he, I always call him the Renaissance man. Because he's one of those rare individuals. Although I have learned that there are a lot of scientists who are very spiritual and and artistic that are beautiful writers. It's mm -hmm. really interesting. Um, you you when you think of scientists, you think somebody cold clinical. But sometimes you get these scientists that are this perfect that are both. And I think that was what makes them so good at what they do because they don't have the blinders on. You know, they're looking at the big picture and they're they're not ignoring the energetic part of human health. And in fact, our next hour, we've we're going to be talking about energy, intuition and a lot of things that are missing from the whole healing equation. I think there's a phrase in this woman um, that'll be coming in. Her name is uh, Danny Blitz. Um, her documentary series is Superpower. And there's a phrase and there's somebody used, and I believe it was spiritual immunity. Mm. You know, we all agree, this is a little teaser for it. We all agree that if you're under stress, you're more prone to disease. You're more prone to cancer, right? We know, we hear somebody living stressful conditions and they have a heart attack. Well, like, I'm not surprised they were living under such stress, right? But if you do the reverse and, and tell people, remove stress from your life, meditate, um, channel love and, and all that, and you can heal yourself. People kind of roll their eyes a bit and that's woo-woo, right? They can believe the negative, but not the positive. But the next hour, we're going to be talking about that, that you, the importance of not dividing yourself, your spiritual self from your physical self. And I think that's what Dr. Henry does well is he science and religion, science and spirituality. He does not divide those. No, he doesn't. And he's always signing off his emails like with love, we can um, achieve anything, something like yeah. that. Yeah, beautiful. It, it is beautiful. And that's really where we need to go. And our government in 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 the founding fathers and attempting 
<clears throat> to make sure that people weren't forced into a certain religion, that religion didn't, you know, one religion didn't make everybody behave in a certain way, that we had freedom of religion. That evolved to where they sort of exercised religion kind of out of government, out of decision-making, out of care. Not here in Tennessee. It's really kind of interesting how um, your argument goes a lot further if you do bring God into the equation, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Um, anyway, I was squirreling there. So, so you've got this great lawsuit going on. People are rallying. What else is happening there in California? So much stuff is happening in California. And let's let's track back to the CARES Act because that's the motivation for these illegal school mandates for vaccines and for testing and for masking. And those are all still illegal. All those products are still under emergency use authorization. And I don't know if your listeners remember when I was on your show earlier this year and I was talking about um, how all the vaccines were still under emergency use authorization, even though Comirnaty which is a brand version of the Pfizer BioNTech shot mm -hmm. is um, quasi approved. It, it's not on the market. And so what that means is that there, we still only have three EUA shots, COVID shots on the market, and they're illegal to mandate. So we, we filed a suit against Santa Clara University here in California because of their illegal booster mandate. And we'd, we'd been looking for a school who's going to put it in writing and really, you know, crack down on the students. And we found one. And this is a school where my son actually attends. Um, and they're, they're doing this because they got $12 million in money from the CARES Act from these funds called the HERF funds. And Bernadette, when you and I spoke last week, we were talking about these funds. Mm -hmm. And HERF stands for Higher Education Emergency Relief Funds. So they get $12 million to do this to their students, but this is a very high-end <clears throat> private college. It's a Jesuit school, and that's going to come into play in a minute when I tell you a little more about the case, um, the fact that this is a religious school. But they got $12 million, and these students pay $70,000 plus in tuition room and board per year. And in my, you know, I did simple math in my head. And so they're getting three hundred dollars to $350 million in tuition room and board every year, yet they are putting all their students in danger for a measly $12 million of CARES Act funds. It's a rounding error, basically, on all the tuition they collect. So it's beyond me why they would want to do this, which is why our case is so important. The importance of our case is that it's, again, it's, for their, um, it's against their illegal booster shot mandates, and it's to prevent any illegal mandates in the future. Um, mm -hmm. But the importance of the case is that we believe this is the first case to go after a college seeking damages. And damages scare colleges because if they did this for the money and we have enough plaintiffs where they feel like they are going to lose and could pay out more than $12 million in damages as compensation for what they've done, they're going to back down. And so um, our theory is working. <laughs> um, we have yet to be granted a hearing in this lawsuit. Yet, um, I'm going to tell you about the case. So I'm going to, I'm going to actually bring the case to life because when we got the case, um, my son goes to school there. He brought me um, the first plaintiff. Her name is Harlow Glenn. And that's a really good friend of my son's. Now, she she was seeking a medical exemption. And that's why we that's why we initiated this case. We have more plaintiffs now, but I'll tell you how those came onto our case in a second. But um, so Harlow first submitted a religious ex exemption to her school. This is a Jesuit college. It's a religious school. And the first thing the school said for her religious exemption, oh, sorry, honey, you're a student. We only grant religious exemptions to COVID shots to faculty and staff. Can you believe I'm, that? I'm, 
I know. By what what rationale is that even, even, does it make sense? No, it makes zero sense. I was expecting you to say, you know, um, we don't feel, you know, our religion, you know, says that you must get it because that's what they're doing. The Seattle Archdiocese with with other with school required vaccines, not the COVID shot, but with other vaccines. A couple of years ago, they got rid of the religious exemption because they said the Catholic Church doesn't believes it's your moral duty to get vaccinated, which was absurd, appalling. Absolutely. But at least they were consistent. At yeah. least they did not say, oh, we'll give a religious exemption to this, the staff, but not right. to the children. Right. So I've been advising students at Santa Clara University, get a small job on campus. Even if it's for an hour, your staff. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> you can get a religious exemption. So, okay. So this gets worse. You guys are not going to believe the rest of this story, but um, this is our lead plaintiff. Again, her name is Harlow Glenn. She's lovely. And uh, other than these horrible mandates, students love this school. Mm-hmm. The community around this school is so strong. It goes back generations. Like I've, through this case, I've met people who've been involved with the school for a hundred years through all these different generations of their family. They love this school. Kids feel at home here. It's a private college. You don't get lost in, you know, the big public school system in California. If you go to this school, you got very high end curriculum. I mean, everybody loves it. Um, but this booster mandate is really bad news. Okay. So this is what Harlow did next. Then she gets a doctor to write her a medical exemption because she's like, you know, I just, have some health issues and I don't think I'm a candidate for a COVID shot. And so that she submits the medical exemption. No, sorry, Harlow, you, you cannot have a medical exemption. So, um, and that was told to her by the communications director. So this is a communications director um, practicing medicine without a license essentially and interfering with the doctor patient relationship. Yes. Okay. So those are two of our causes of action on the suit. They're 18 causes of action. So Harlow says, Oh geez, well, I want to stay in school. I just transferred here. The transfer process is horrific. I don't want to go through that again. So I guess I'll go get a shot. I'll probably be fine, but I'm not sure. She was not fine. Oh no. She Harlow, got it. She got a shot and this story gets worse and worse. You're not going to believe what the rest of this. So she gets a shot. A few days later, she starts feeling awful. She goes numb from her waist down. She starts urinating blood. She gets a massive headache and she starts throwing up. So she goes to the emergency room and they can't really do anything for her. Um, they give her antibiotics because they think she has a UTI, which which it's not. It's from the shot. Uh, you, a urinary tract infection is a UTI for people right. who, who don't talk about medicine all day long like we do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so they send her home. So she takes months to recover. Months. And so she said, well, I can't get a second shot, which was also required. And so she goes to another doctor and says, I need a new medical exemption based on what happened to me. And the doctor says, oh, my gosh, absolutely happy to write you a medical exemption. Clearly, you cannot have another shot. And now let me squirrel. I love that term. Let me squirrel or sideline into um, another case of of a student in the same situation. A student in, in New York was forced to get one shot by his college, had the same symptoms as Harlow, was peeing blood, went numb from the waist down, recovered more quickly than Harlow. He was required to get a second shot and he died. Oh my God. So we're talking about a student who there's, there's another case where somebody experienced the exact same symptoms and he died after the second shot thinking he would be fine. So she knew she could not have a second shot. Absolutely knew she couldn't have one. She gets her second medical exemption, turns it into the school. Guess what they said now? They said, oh, Harlow, 
too, or too bad, you know, you were only in the emergency room because you didn't stay overnight in a hospital. This isn't serious enough. We can't grant you a medical exemption. So we're going to um, kick you out of school and you don't get a tuition refund. I, yeah, I'm just like so speechless at how horrific this is. If yeah. this was any other pharmaceutical product, you know what I mean? Well, first of all, nobody would be mandating the dang thing, but, but no. I never, I mean, I never, ever, ever thought that something would be so bad and they would still be telling you to get it, even though, mm -hmm. it, and it's still, oh, okay. Exactly. So what Harlow did, she did the smartest thing. She just, she didn't reply. She just decided to keep going to class, keep going back to her dorm room. She never did anything. And then the booster mandate came. Mm -hmm. And when the booster mandate came, she kept, you know, she kept getting emails every week, but nobody actually kicked her out. But the okay. booster mandate came and then like the entire school is going to be kicked out if they didn't get the shot by mm -hmm. a certain date. I think it was like, I don't remember the date anymore. I think it was in May or no, mm -hmm. March. Um, so if they didn't have the shot by like, let's say March 17th, all these students would be kicked out. And so everybody knew that was pretty serious. And but she, she knew she couldn't get another one. And the school is saying, if you don't get two more shots, you're kicked out. She's like, if I get two more shots, I'm going to be dead. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. So mm -hmm. it comes up to the deadline of... Um, getting the shots. And at that point, only 53% of students had had a booster shot. Nobody wanted it. Yeah. And so the day before or two, one or two days before the final um, booster shot clinic on campus, we staged a, um, a press conference mm -hmm. where we had Steve Kirsch come and I spoke. We had Dr. Huang come. Michael Huang is amazing. He's, he's helped a lot of students with medical exemptions and push back against the school. And the outcome of that press conference was unbelievable. Okay, ready? Here's another part of the story that's just going to make your skin crawl. So my son spoke at the press conference and he says he's, he's not anti-vaccine. He's not super conservative. And he said it in his speech, um, but he's there to support Harlow, his friend. And he's a plaintiff in the case too, because one of our causes of action is infliction of intentional emotional distress over these shots and also the forcing of an illegal medical product on his students. So mm -hmm. you know, he, he fits a couple of causes of action. So anyway, he spoke. Harlow spoke. She did a beautiful job. She'd never done anything like that before. And they both did a beautiful job. They both went back to their Greek houses. Harlow went to her sorority house. Uh, my son went to his fraternity. Both Greek houses wanted to kick them out. Wow. Just for, for speaking? For speaking about vaccine injury on campus. And the comments, they have a private um, or a, let's say anonymous texting system at the school called Flock. And the comments were so mean. They call my son Brownie Boy because he bakes brownies for everybody at school <laughs> out of his little dorm room. And they call Harlow Booster Girl. And they were saying the meanest comments and like stuff like, girl, it's not Santa Clara's fault. You have a weak immune system, LOL. You know, stuff like that. It's like, oh, so you want the student to die? I, what is your problem? And it turns out, so this whole first week, my son and, and Harlow got so much flack from all the other students. And they're like, oh my God, we made a mistake. This was so dumb of us for our social lives to come out publicly about this. But you know what happened? It brought so much attention to the issue. People finally read her story. They heard her story and they went through a lot of hell for a week. And after that, it pretty much stopped and people support them now. But they okay. had to go through that. So there was a bit of a learning curve because it sounds as if the students were just caught up in being flippant, arrogant, never had the experience of injury themselves, leave believing the lies, but then they were still open-minded enough to they maybe get attention and it changed. 
It did. It, they yeah. recognized that the injury is real. The, the risk of injury is real. And right after the press conference, we got contacted by a dozen more students with injuries? who wanted to join the lawsuit, Okay, <laughs> which That's is amazing. Yeah. And so it turns out we've been able to expand, expand our plaintiffs to not only the students who are medically injured, there are students who permanently lost scholarship money. There's an MBA who was 90% of the way through his nighttime MBA degree. He's been getting it for four to five years. And for some reason, the credits he's getting at Santa Clara won't transfer anywhere else. Hmm. And so he's paid all this money, spent all this time for four or five years, you know, hoping to finish so he can get a promotion because when he gets his MBA, he can get a promotion. And he is basically kicked out because he's not going to get a booster. Wow. So we have all kinds of plaintiffs because it's like scholarship money awarded by Santa Clara can't follow a student to another school. So here's what here's what happened. So they assigned a judge to the case. The first judge was a professor of law at Santa Clara University. Wow. So we got rid of that judge. Second judge assigned to the case was a professor of law at Santa Clara University now lectures for free. So we're trying to get rid of that judge. Yeah. Um, And that we have not been granted a hearing, but here's what happened. So they started granting medical exemptions and we believe they granted one religious exemption. They changed their policy and they said, anybody kicked out for not getting a booster is going to get a tuition refund. And, um, and here's the the big headline. Harlow was granted her medical exemption. Okay. Makes me cry because I'm so happy. I'm so happy. We didn't even get a hearing and we accomplished all that so far. But you're not going to drop the suit. Oh, no. Good. No. Because there's a backward looking part of it because they owe these students um, reparations for what they've done to them, whether it's financial loss mm-hmm. or medical harm, and forward looking because we're going to prevent illegal mandates at the school in the future with this case. Yeah. It, it, it just makes you wonder what the heck is going on with the Jes- Jes- Jesuits. I don't know why I can't say that right now. <laughs> what is going on, you know, of all. Of all the places, a, re, a, a religious school to to be so. Well, don't forget that Georgetown is also a Jesuit school, mm-hmm. and Georgetown is just as bad as anywhere else, and they have a lot of backing from from the uh, from the Jesuit order. The other thing you have to consider is that, like when you when you pointed out that the school received twelve million dollars in mm-hmm. funding, there's more money than that. No school in its right mind would risk $12 million in the lawsuit associated with it unless there was other strings attached or some Mm -hmm. other program or institution Mm -hmm. was willing to funnel in more money on the back end. So this is just the the window, uh, the store window front cash. There's more in the back. I think you're right, Javier. I think that's right. And now, Bernadette, you did a show recently about these CARES Act funds going to the schools. So were you able to find out anything about what is required of these schools once they get the CARES Act funds? Um, I'd have to to look at it closely. The way it is, oops, I just, it's going to be all different. And I don't know, like, the particular funds that you're talking about. This is a whole different set. It's got a, a different name to it, aimed at the higher education. The ones that I had looked at, what was really alarming is they offered the schools all this money and then just said later on, there might be information coming, something coming from us. You know, don't look over here. So the schools took the money. And then after the fact, they were told, oh, by the way, there's reporting requirements. You have to report to us that you are following our guidelines, right? And it, it, and so 
um, they pretty much have to, you know, put um, attempt at least to put vaccine clinics in schools or near schools to mask the kids up, whatever the CDC says is the protocol the schools have to go by. Some states, um, I can't remember which state it was where they passed a law, you could not force the kids to wear masks. And the Biden administration was suing them to get the money back, said, you're not going to if you're not going to do what we tell you, you have to give us the money back. Wow. Um, yeah. So they really did a deal with the devil. They didn't know what they were agreeing to. And that's why all these school boards are, they act like brick walls and these people turn into monsters. I mean, they have parents coming in crying and begging them, please don't force our kids to get shots. Don't force our kids to wear masks every day. Mm -hmm. Don't force our kids to get tested every day. And all they can say is we're following the CDC guidelines, but they never say why they're following yeah. the CDC guidelines because they don't have to yeah. follow them. But yeah. now they do because they accepted the money. But that's, I mean, that's got to be illegal to to have a contract where you accept funds and then find out the provisions of those yeah. funds later. But apparently when they accepted the funds, they agreed that they were okay with more information coming later. So you really, I mean, I, it is deceptive. Yes. I'll go ahead, Javier. And, but you, I remember one time on the show, we had someone say, don't go after the school boards, go after the superintendents. They're the authorities that signed off on that deal. And they knew full well that was going on. So school boards are a brick wall because the superintendent is feeding them the information. So they're going off whatever the superintendent is telling them. It's very rare that you get a school board saying, oh, thank you for that information. You're absolutely right. This should have never happened. Mm. Parents should actually tell the school board, ask the superintendent why they signed up on this deal. And you mm -hmm. ask them why they lied to you or told you or didn't give you enough information. Mm -hmm. They're the liable ones. The school boards are liable as well, but the yeah. superintendent most of all. And I, I would think of enough school boards, superintendents, parents rallied together and all of them said, we're not going to do what you ask and we're keeping the money. Or if they, whatever money they've got left, they could send back. But if they haven't spent it, you right. know, I mean, a lot of them were, they were doing things like putting in, um, um, like new ventilation systems in the schools. Cause you know, there are a lot of public schools that are falling apart that have toxins in them that need, that need work. Um, but that's a whole other issue. So well, and then when people FOIA the schools to get an accounting of how some of the money was spent, I think it was a woman named Violet um, in Illinois, mm. the school she was associated with they, if she found out they spent the cares act funds on bleachers and teachers, teacher raises and bleachers. Is that no, crazy? Well, I would think that Biden ought to go after that because that's not what the money was for. No. Not that I agree with what the money was for, but it surely right. wasn't for bleachers and teachers. Mm -mm. Yeah. No, yeah. it wasn't. So yeah, I I I'm I don't feel like we're done digging into what that money is all about. Yeah. And I just it's it's just an awful thing yeah. where I mean these schools were starved of their funding because um in California in the public schools, they get dollars per student per day. And mm -hmm. so they got starved of all this money. So of course they're going to take a handout later and, you know, yeah. they're going to be rolling yeah. in more money than they've ever had. So they're all going to get like, you know, green eyed and greedy over it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, Javier in Washington didn't a, a law pass this year where they're changing the funding model because there's so many kids being pulled out of the school system. Right. They're, they're, gonna... they're attempting, they're attempting to put that into law, basically do an averaging of the previous five years 
for headcount. So that way they don't have to rely on reporting, weekly reporting on how many butts and seats are there. And I don't know if it's, if it's uh, moving forward or not, because I think there's enough resistance to changing that law because they mm -hmm. understand what's going on, or mm -hmm. at least a lot of parents and people in the community are realizing that's how they're getting around us. So they can keep the money train going. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you. So for example, in Idaho, what's interesting is that they allow charter schools so that money follows a child. Yeah. So I can mm -hmm. only, the, the, the only reason Washington does not have money following the child are the teachers unions. And again, I was a big supporter of teachers unions for years. And this year, it's just amazed me. And again, I love teachers. My parents are teachers. We're teachers are retired now. Mm -hmm. The best people I've known in my life were teachers, some of the most trusting and amazing people in the world. But the unions have really, I think, lied to their constituents on this. Again, mm -hmm. this is my opinion. This is not CHD's opinion. This is not an informed life radio opinion or <laughs> informed choice Washington opinion. But yeah. that's the reality of it. You know, when the moment you actually say to, to the to to the community, the money's gonna follow the child, you're gonna see a dramatic change in how schools behave, act, teach towards children. It's transformative. And in yeah, New it York, makes it more of a free market system exactly. and it'll respond to demand. And yeah. if there's no demand, they gotta change. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it we need to be empowered as individuals. What we're seeing is this massive move. And the headline articles, Forbes and other major uh, magazines have run big articles that pretty much tell people don't trust yourself. Leave it to the experts. There's this whole move to get everybody to hand their power, to not trust their decision-making skills on anything. You know, it's this whole move of big brother knows best, your government knows best, you know, public health knows best, and to depower the individual. And we have got to absolutely stop that and, yep. and just trust all of us. I mean, some of the people that I think are the smartest and making the best decision, they have the least education of people. <laughs> You know, it's true. You it's know, true. It's just, they they just they're close to the earth. They're close to family. They're they think for themselves and they look at something with common sense. Good old fashioned common sense. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> pretty old fashioned these days, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, got, I was visiting um, my youngest sibling, and she asked me, um, "You know, why why won't you mask?" <laughs> And she's, you know, she has a degree from Harvard. And I said, well, because they don't work. She goes, well, droplets. <laughs> You're spitting out the narrative. And I said, well, you know, it, it doesn't just come out in droplets. You know, there's particles also. She goes, no, it's all droplets. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I said, you know, there are only two randomized controlled studies on masking and whether or not they work. And both of those things say that masking doesn't work. And she goes, well, no, that's not true because the CDC wanted everybody to wear masks and they did, they did a lot. And I said, okay, listen, if you're so confident that masks work, I have a million dollars for you because my friend, Steve Kirsch, he's got a million dollars on the table for anyone who can show the science showing that masks work for any virus. And I'll get you a million dollars. If you're so confident about your opinion, just go talk to him on camera and I'll get you a million dollars. And the conversation was over. Yeah. <laughs> and I have, a, I have a friend and colleague. She's so, she's so funny. She gets, every time she gets in an Uber, and the driver's wearing a mask, she'll say, do you wear underwear? <laughs> and the driver's thinking this is going in a totally different direction. And, um, and he'll say, um, yeah. And, and she goes, 
can you smell your farts? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so the mask is the same thing. If you can smell farts, through, even though you're wearing underwear, then, you know, how do you expect to keep out a virus that's got even smaller particles? <laughs> that's so funny. You know, and there was a legislator here, I won't name names, but we were having a great conversation. It was when the big docs were here. It was like, you know, Dr. Malone and, and Dr. Merrick. And I can't remember which group were in the office with this particular legislator. And he says, tell me about masks. You know, he says, they don't make sense to me. And I wish I could do it the, the, the Southern accent. I wish I could do it justice, but I can't. But he's like, you know, when I poot, I can still smell it. So, you know, so why would a mask keep you exactly what you're saying? But he said, when I poot, that, that's the other thing. <laughs> yeah, I've always wanted to go release like a horrible smell at the grocery store back when everybody was masking yeah. and, and film it and have everybody like react to the smell. Yeah. You know, like, wait. If you can smell it through your mask, what's the mask doing? <laughs> I know. I don't know. I mean, you know, somehow they got people to comply to even things that they think are absurd. They will put on their mask and get in their car and drive to the restaurant and cross the lobby and then sit down and take it off and then put it back on to cross the lobby again. You know, and the, and the mask is sitting on the table beside their dinner. Right. You know, and they're touching it. I mean, it's so, uh, it just, uh, you know, historians are going to look back on this, this psychosis of yeah. people being willing to do this. And I really feel that everything that we've experienced the past couple of years, this was just the test. This was figuring out how compliant people will be, um, how far they can push them into absurdity and they will still comply, mm -hmm. kind of figure out how who we are, the non-compliant, the free thinkers, <laughs> whatever right. you want to call us. And, you know, and then lay the um, infrastructure for the control systems in order to then take it to the next level. And right. I'm seeing now with the way mainstream is more and more showing things at the federal level that are going wrong and the incompetence of the federal level. I think that's sort of being allowed mainstream wise, because the next step is for people to ask for global entities to run the U.S. because our country's too incompetent to do it. Right. right. I feel right. like, you yeah, know, I mean, teeing that up. You're right. So do you want to talk about the WHO? WHO and those amendments. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I'll share screen to a particular um, document that has some of the language in it. So we can we can look at that. Um, let me see. I've got it here. The World Freedom Declaration. This is a good thing against a bad thing. So the wealth, the health freedom defense fund. Now you guys probably remember, um, this is Leslie Manukian's wonderful group. They're the ones who won the mask case that took masks off you in airplanes. Um, so they have created this fantastic declaration in opposition to the changes that the U.S., amendments that the U.S. has offered to make to the 2005 International Health Regulations. It's basically an international uh, treaty agreement that at times of health crisis, how they will work together. And 
it's really appalling how the United States has said that, like this one, um, well, let's start with Article 1, Section 9. They're changing the language. This is existing language. Um, the WHO may take into account reports from sources other than notifications or consultations, and this is of health emergencies, and shall assess these reports according to established epidemiological principles and then communicate information on the event to the state party, state party being the country where it's happening, in whose territory the event is allegedly occurring. And then what's crossed off, they would remove the language that says, before taking any action based on such reports, who shall consult with an attempt to obtain verification from the state party? Uh-oh, did we run out of time? Oh my goodness, stop sharing. I'm going to continue this on the next hour, guys. So thank you so much for joining us, Alex Meyer, Children's Health Defense. Bless you and all you're doing. Dr. X, hang on. We're going to go to a break and we'll, we'll come back in a few minutes. You've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. We'll be right back. Thank you so much, Bernadette. Thank My you. Pleasure to be on. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. I need to 
Hello and welcome back to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and with me is Javier Figueroa. And we Hello. Our, hi. We're into our second hour of radio here, uncensored on KKNW. Um, and in the next hour, we're going to bring on, let's see if she's able to come on here. Danny Blitz is joining us this second hour, and she's new to StreamYard. I see her picture there. So hopefully we're going to be able to get some video. But if not, Danny, can you hear us? I sure can. Can you hear me? I can hear you and we can see your photo. So that will be for now. If we can't get, get you live, we've got you Memorex. Do you remember that old commercial? <laughs> I do. Yeah. Your voice is, is live. Um, I wanted to continue before we get into this awesome conversation, Danny, that we're going to have with you. I wanted to finish up with our viewers and listeners here about the World Freedom Declaration. Uh, I don't know if you were able to listen to what we were talking about just before the first hour ended. But what's going on is the World Health Organization in 2005 had a, um, what do they call it? An international health regulation um, that was in place. And now the, it's going to be updated. And some of the proposed amendments from the United States government are very concerning because they basically say that in a time of a health emergency, which is very vaguely explained, health emergency, it could be anything. They could call uh, climate change a health emergency, that the World Health Organization could declare the emergency and they only would give um, 48 hour, within 48 hours the state party, which would be the country where the emergency is supposedly happening, 48 hours to agree to respond to what the World Health Organization says they must do. And, and and the implied is, and then what? What if they don't comply? Does it's it's really very alarming, and there are many many groups that are opposing this. So I just wanted to pass on to viewers and listeners to please go to healthfreedomdefense.org mm -hmm. and then look on the ta the tab for World Freedom Declaration. Then you can read the dec declaration, and if you agree with it, you can sign it. You know, and it gives the proposed amendments, and it gives a link to the 2005 International Health Regulation. So you can read it all completely, so you really understand what you're signing. So so far, there's over 20,000 signatures, mm -hmm. um, over 19,000 from citizens, and 741 public servants. And you will see that a lot of organizations have signed on to this. So I'm going to just quickly show you some of the co-signers, Children's Health Defense, the National Vaccine Information Center, Stand for Health Freedom, Doctors for COVID Ethics, Unity Project, I'm kind of jumping around, um, U.S. Freedom Flyers, uh, two of my organizations, Informed Choice Washington and the Tennessee Coalition for Vaccine Choice, we've signed on to this, IPAC-EDU, Green Med Info, just some really good, strong voices. So I encourage you to read this, sign this, and then um, and share it so that everybody get their voices on this um, everywhere you can. So 
uh, that's that's that. Any comments on that before we move topics? <laughs> and just just uh, just want to jump in real quick. So when you, you talk about health concerns or um, uh, epidemics, one of the I still remember the stories where uh, they were trying to push the idea of racism as a health emergency and social inequality as a health emergency. So it seems like they were beta testing possible reasons to declare health emergencies. That would be well, a political goal. Exactly. And if you go look at public health entities, at their groups, their associations, um, their statement, policy statements, you will find that many things um, are now considered public health emergencies. Gun control is considered a public health emergency. Right. And so there are a number of ways in which they could uh, potentially claim there's a public health emergency in order to take away a freedom or to limit or, you know, whatever they want to do to move toward this great reset, this one world order sort of thing. Um, anyway, it's, it's just very concerning. But this second hour, this second hour is going to be about hope and energy and all kinds of good things. Right, Danny? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah that's so, what I was feeling as I was coming into this and then I heard what's going on in the world and I went, ah. Now that's why you're needed. You are so needed because the, you are so spot on on what we need to know in order to survive this very difficult time and come through it into a really good place. So Danny Blitz is the producer and director of a great docu-series called Superpower. And I am going to share with our viewers and listeners here on the on your webpage, Superpower, one of your trailers here that I really like. So this is superpowerfilm.com is where you can check this out. And I'm going to go ahead. Oh, hold on. I got to stop sharing because I don't think I clicked the button that said play sound. You know, there's so many little things you have to. Oh, it is. Okay. I did. Superpower. There we go. All right. So here we go. It's just a minute and a half, a little over that. The cost of health care in our society is $3 trillion every year. We're addicted to buying drugs instead of making medicine. Health isn't coming from that pharmaceutical pill. Health is coming from the consciousness. Most of us have very underdeveloped belly centers. There's no support for the heart. We get overwhelmed and ungrounded very easily. I do a lot of mental training. You know, a lot of connecting with the heart, with the mind. If somebody gets to a clear mind, they would be performing better, suffering less. You want to talk about the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual ending up in the physical body. People need to know their thoughts are translated into chemistry by the brain. And the chemistry is released into the blood, and the blood is the environment that shapes behavior and genetics. Everything about being a more self-observant person and then deriving the benefits of that, whether that's a health benefit or creativity maximizing benefit or any other kind of benefit that you can imagine, the healing resource is here. My challenge for my patients is essentially that you have an awareness in this physical body, have that be the best movie that you want to watch and always be directing your attention to that. As we learn to go towards what's challenging, what we don't yet understand, 
those things are gates to deeper grace and wisdom. You can start training your awareness of where to go. If medicine ever learns that there's more to the story, we'll have better healing in this world. That is so exciting. So that is a glimpse at at superpower, um, and it's a docu series. So how many um, individual films are there, uh, Danny? Well, there are actually twelve episodes. We had our initial launch with the first ten, mm-hmm. uh, and in all, we created twelve. We probably could have created twenty. We we had. So much material, and it was uh, a little challenging to pick the direction, although overall, the point was to hit upon the different aspects of a regular living soul's life, Mm. you know, uh, to talk about the energy within the body, to talk about the energy that transpires between people, that transpires between us and the greater source, you know, whatever you want to call that. Uh, and how that might even work mm-hmm. and the different things that we can do with that. We can communicate with our pets. We can raise children so that they are more intuitive. Frankly, I think that's what we should be doing. And that's yeah. really, uh, you know, the inspiration with this film was the next generation. Yeah. Regaining that, that level of trusting yourself that has been, systematically um, taken away from us. We're told we should not do that, right? Yeah. So Danny, can you tell us, I'd I'd love to know your journey um, that brought you to this. If you, you know, whatever you would like to share about your life, you know, and experiences that led you to say, this is what I need to do. I think first it's important to know that this film was born pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And that all of these events that have happened to me just points to anybody who might have questioned the film before and not fully understood why the film is needed. I'm not sure how many people could deny these days how much it's mm-hmm. needed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in a way, this whole thing worked to the advantage of, of waking people up or people who are waking up. Mm-hmm. to consider, wow, you know, this is a solution. And, and you know, I was always taught that if you come to the table with a problem, you also have to come to the table with a solution. Yes, that's, yeah, my, one of my favorite people, Zen Honeycutt, uh, Moms Across America, always says that too. I love that, yeah. So, you know, I saw a huge problem, uh, which was the choices people were making and the detriment uh, that this world was taking because of their choices. And, and sadly, because I'm, I love children. Uh, and, you know, I mean, my intent was always to have a big Italian family, but mm-hmm. it turned out, you know, I was a solo parent by choice who had one daughter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I was always working with children in, um, in the classroom. And I was actually working with them starting in the Easter seals when I was a toddler and we you know, my mother was a speech therapist. Mm. So that was when, you know, an autistic child would come along and it was so rare to find an autistic child. And so I was really exposed to kind of all of that and working with 
what was natural. Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, thankfully, mom taught me that and I stuck with it. I didn't let anything get in the way or anything influence me about natural health and, you know, that which is natural. Mm -hmm. So, so my inspiration, you know, watching, um, being in the classroom, watching the struggles of the parents with their children. Uh, you know, I, I know that we always, we, we have a tendency in this country to blame other people, to put the responsibility on other shoulders. And for me, uh, you know, I was, I always think, well, what could I have done better? You know, what, what can I do better if I'm facing something now? Um, or what is the right decision? Because in the end, it's my responsibility, no matter what. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but I always saw that people were very quick, pre-COVID and even today, very quick to, to rush off bad decisions, bad choices to somebody else's fault. So meaning, yeah. and it was yeah. easier too. So if you took your doctor's advice, if you took the <laughs> advice mm -hmm. of the, of uh, the ADA and, and uh, the CDC and the FDA, and, you know, you just thought, well, whatever they say, yeah, know, must be right. It surely, yeah. surely they yeah. wouldn't give us bad advice. They wouldn't give us advice if it was going to hurt us. So it was much easier to brush off responsibility to large organizations, doctors, priests, whoever it was. Yes. But when I saw what happened based on those choices, whether they were vaccines, mm -hmm. uh, whether um, they were bringing in technology that actually hooked their children and seriously had problems getting off that technology. You know, like they couldn't, and they were addicted to it, mm -hmm. and, which, you know, sent them reeling into drug addiction, um, uh, eating disorders and couldn't finish out school. And, you know, I think it's important too, for people to know that, and, you know, we, I raised my daughter in a very affluent community. So we don't get to blame any of those problems on inner city families. You know, we always like to throw, well, it was an inner city child. It was an inner city family. And so of course they're going to have struggles. Well, we don't have an excuse. <laughs> and, you know, we walked around bragging about our being highly educated, you know, in the community constantly every day, you'd always hear about somebody talking about how highly educated they were. And I thought, well, okay. So if we're, if we've got money, and we've got all the resources in the world and we are so educated. Why are our children so sick? Yeah. Why are they cutting themselves? Why do they have gastrointestinal issues at seven years old? Mm -hmm. Why are they having mental anxiety starting at 10? Why are they killing themselves, you know, at 17? What is going on if we have everything in the world that we could ask for? Why are we having these problems? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I did take a, for a number of years, I just was racking my brain at what, what is going on? I, I don't understand this, but I did notice patterns. I did notice that when you, you know, threw a possibility out there that maybe, the CDC wasn't recommending. Maybe the pediatrician really wasn't going down that path. If you were just, just possibilities that maybe we could research and look into, it was a quick brush off. Oh, well, 
that's not what my doctor tells me to do. So I'm going to follow what my doctor tells me to do. Well, how about if you research it? I don't, who has time for that? You know, so it, I just thought, my gosh. But then when I saw the results of all the excuses, then I thought, that's it. I, <laughs> watching these kids, I feel I have a sense of responsibility. And while it's too late for some of them, they're gone. It's not too late for their children. And my hope was maybe I can offer a solution. Maybe they'd be willing to look at their lives and go, you know, some of these decisions that my parents made weren't the best decisions. And I'm going to see what I can do different. I know I certainly did. In fact, if I have anything to thank my mother for, it's it's making all the wrong decisions so that I could go, okay, I know what not to do. Now I'm mm-hmm. going to do what, you know, what I can do that, you know, I'm just going to test it out here. And while I definitely was not perfect, oh my God, and I'm sure for decades, I'm going to hear about that. Uh, (laughs) You know, I did realize that I did look back and I go, why is my kid so healthy? Why does my kid not suffer from mental anxiety? Why is my kid thriving in school and not having to use any of the, the sources that the colleges are you know, it, you know, you, you'd walk into a dormitory and you'd see every other room have uh, service pets because mm. there's so much anxiety in mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I, when I went to college, you, that was a silly thought. In fact, nobody thought of getting a service pet for that. And now everybody had service pets. So what could I do? What could I do? What was I doing? And in the end, I just kept thinking, well, what's the foundation? Where can people start? You know, because there are a lot of things we can do but where can they start? And what am I doing differently than I know that they're not doing? Which is, well, I feel like I don't always think that the books that I read and that the authorities that are that uh, are in front of me are always right. And that was just an intuitive hit, like, ooh, that doesn't really feel right. So I'm going to kind of go down another path and not necessarily look for a quick fix and see where that leads me. You know, mm-hmm. it's unknown. It's very scary for people. If they have a solution that is a quick fix and let's just do it, no matter what, no matter what the consequences are. And, and I was never okay with that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, nope. I'm a planner. And so I feel like I have to have, I have to have more information to be able to make um, an intuitively intelligent decision, basically. Mm-hmm. It's in both, you know, all parts of the brain here. Yeah. So, in fact, I was just having a conversation with somebody saying, you know, common sense, nobody understands common sense these days. And I said, you know, I think it's an old phrase because, as people have been saying for many years, common sense isn't so common. And I really think the phrase intuitive intelligence has taken the place of it. And, mm-hmm. first, you know, first of all, it makes you think more. So, I, you know, the full title of the, of the film is Superpower Ignite Your Intuitive Intelligence. And so, you mm-hmm. know, I, checked in with sores and, you know, did a lot of meditating, I realized, and, and there was a lot of lead up to on, on learning and, and preparing for this film, but mm-hmm. the direction turned out to be, you know, the most foundational answer you can provide people is to, for them to listen to their intuitive intelligence. Yeah. And I was really lucky in that I was raised by a mom who really was connected. She had a healthy distrust of, 
experts, especially medical experts, and really believed in in natural healing and that sort of thing. So I was I was raised with that skepticism, and yet I'm a Pollyanna. You know, it's like I believe people are telling me the truth. They and they have only the best of intentions. So it, it did take me a little while. Actually, it took me until I really began to work with legislators a lot that I began to see the, the places where I could not trust my instincts, right? Because for a lot of people, you can tell when you're with them, you get on, you have a certain uncomfortableness. It's your intuition, it's your gut instincts. Something tells you for whatever, things aren't quite as they're being said, but there's a certain personality type. It's not all politicians because I know some great ones are down to earth and common sense and everything. But there were a couple that looked me in the eye and said the nicest things and held my hand and just, Bernadette, so glad you're here. We're going to do this. And then they would turn around, walk down the hall, and I'd hear them say something the, that was exactly in opposition to what they were claiming to support, like they were just stabbing me in the back. And, and it was shocking to me. I don't know why I'm going in this direction because it doesn't support your theory. I guess what it, <laughs> I guess what it is is um, that a lot of times people in places of authority that put themselves out there as experts, as leaders, as people who have power, like legislators, that they say trust us and they talk a good talk and you want to believe them. Right now, the whole world, not the whole world, a lot of us are not under their spell, but an awful lot of really good people are under the spell of individuals who talk a good talk. And when people begin to realize they've been lied to, it's going to be quite a shock and they're going to need to return to that, that inner self, that inner trust. Now I myself, now Javier, are you this way? I've, I've got two main reactions when something is really cool and good. And I know that's the direction to go. And I, I get the chills. I read something powerful. Somebody says something and I just like, I get the chills. It's like, okay, I know that's the right thing to do. That's my intuition. And if, and if something presents itself and I get, I feel it in my gut, if it's wrong, my gut churns a little bit. I feel mm -hmm. right. Right. Yep. And, yeah. And I think it's a very human thing and you're nodding Javier and, and sort of, there's a couple of caveats there. So for example, one is intuition is I do believe in it. It's very powerful. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's several ways to hijack it and you have to be very careful. And uh, that's something that, that, you know, you want people, you wrap, you wrap an idea around something that you know is going to have a very compassionate, warm-hearted feeling. But mm. in the background, you, you, it's basically the hook to bring in the other part. And intuition, you know, that's, that's the part where you really have to really develop it to the point, you know, there's something good about this, but, or I really like this. But, and again, it's because there are technologies out there uh, that are capable of lulling people and putting them, and putting people into a state where they're willing to accept ideas mm. and it bypasses a certain filter that we have. Intuition, wow. I think, is a little bit more than just brain. It's definitely about spirit as well. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's always going to be that, but you have to be very careful. You have, you can trust your gut, 
but you have to have a process. And I'm, I've known incredibly intuitive people that they will tell you, I know this is the right path. Don't go that way. Go this way. Mm. And they can't tell you why, but they're mm. right. Mm. Mm-hmm. But again, there there are there are technologies and techniques that people use to get people to think that they're on the right path and that it feels right. And that's the problem. Intuition is not yeah. just a feeling. It is a whole body process. Yeah, you're right. And I do believe that the best of mankind, including some aspects of our intuition, are being hijacked because a certain messaging is going out there Um you know, just says you need to do this for the greater good. You need to do this to save people. And we, mankind, I believe, is mostly this good. We want to do the right thing and they hijack that. And um, so, so Danny, do any of those sections of your docuseries address what we're talking about? And I apologize that you can't, we, we went negative here a little bit. Uh, Does it address um, that sometimes people will be attempting to hijack your intuition? You know, there wasn't anything specifically we hadn't really, that really hadn't come out in, you know, gosh, we had uh, 40 interviews uh, that we did with people and hijacking was not something that was really being discussed. Okay. Then. But but I agree that you have to you have to discern between what information you're getting more from your guides, whatever that is, mm-hmm. versus the information that you're getting outside. And and that that brings me right back to that point about hearing all of the outside sources. In fact, our our mission, let me tell you, our mission is to give people the volition to jettison the pressures of external sources and reclaim and operate from one's internal authority to positively affect change. So, you know, it may take a while Mm -hmm. for people to understand what is their voice saying versus what they think is the right thing or for the greater good, or, you know, I want to trust people. Uh, So I I might be seen as somebody who is a negative person. I, you know, that's the other thing too, is, is this whole negative positive thing, which I've been fighting. First, people should be able to feel what they're feeling and we need to make space for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, as, As soon as we start, you know, hijacking that space, now all of a sudden, what else is being hijacked? Mm-hmm. Their thoughts and everything else. And so, you know, as a realist, I might come off to some people as being pessimistic. I like to think of it as being realistic. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and, and always taking that perspective of, well, you can see it how you want and you can call me what you want, but this is how I see it. This mm-hmm. is the, the guidance I'm given, despite what's being said or not said out there. And usually it's what's not being said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, I don't want to I don't want to diminish the, the power of the work that you've done, because that is, you know, taking into account uh, your ability to, to use that intuitive power is is essential. I think it's been important for a lot of uh, critical decisions throughout history and, and, and in personal lives. It's just right now the amount of technology that is out there that is used to coerce and herd people into a particular uh, mindset. Uh, you can't discount it. 
and I, and again, uh, your your intuitive ability becomes even more important. Mm-hmm. And using it to discern is really critical. Yeah, I agree. Right, and 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 sometimes, well, I think for all of us, it really we have to learn about who we are and that information. And sometimes you're you're going to make mistakes as you calibrate. What is mine? What is not mine? And I think the closest thing to what you were talking about, you know, the hijacking uh, does have to do with the um, with the um, series, uh, one of the episodes in the series, uh, which is uh, intuition gender trap. And we've got David Sutcliffe who comes on and and talks about, uh, you know, at one point he realized that the thoughts that he was having did not belong to him. So while we don't use the word hijack per se, he does specifically address uh, that. And we don't really go into that tunnel, um, but he does mention it, that that he had to turn things off. He had to turn off the TV and the social media and all of that stuff to just go back and figure out, you know, who he was and what his thoughts were. And, you know, I, he Mm -hmm. offered a beautiful, uh, pretty basic solution, you know, and that's hard for a lot of people. They are attached Mm -hmm. to those phones. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things. It's, it's very simple yet probably one of the hardest things that you have to do. Yeah. Um, like changing your diet. We all know that changing your diet can really just do huge things for your health. I mean, you literally are what you eat and it sounds so simple. Just change your diet. And yet it's one of the most difficult things in the world to do because food, we're emotionally tied to our food. You know, there's just so many things there. And this is the same, but it's also very liberating. Since I met you, Danny, and started thinking about this more, and I was looking at your trailers, um, it it just, I felt a sense of peaceful empowerment, which is really interesting because it made me feel like I do have, and my fellow man has what it takes to live peaceful, healthy lives. You know, um, we just have to begin to trust ourselves again and really pay attention. Um, And I guess learning the art of distinguishing between surface information, surface messaging, propaganda, as it were, that's everywhere, and genuine information um, and genuine messengers. And of course, the closer they are to you in your in your life, the more you can have that sense of discernment, which is why it's so dangerous to lock people up and put them behind masks and not let them socialize. Because when you when you cut that off, you they're more exposed to these distant voices and this distant messaging. And that's you know, a lot what your website is saying is um, you need to listen to yourself and not these outside voices. One of one of your experts said that people today in modern society, the greatest force or what they're listening to is like that is is social, the social forces driving them to make their decisions. They're shutting off their own likes, needs, wants impulses and and saying well gosh society wants me to do this 
Right. And that's very powerful. And they go in that direction, even if it isn't to their benefit and not really how they think or feel. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, pre-COVID that was happening more than ever. We can see that clearly that it's, it's what's driving people's decisions. I've, I've seen, uh, you know, at the start of all this, people come in and, and say, well, you know, I, I think that flu shot is silly. I'm not going to take the flu shot anymore. I know those things are damaging and they hurt you. And then just as soon as this, uh, you know, this jab came out, you know, the, the thought was, well, of course I'm going to get the jab, you know, I'm going to get that, that vaccine. <laughs> it's yeah. hard for me to say that word. Yeah. It's not a vaccine. No. <laughs> I know. And so, uh, you know, so it's like, well, what changed? It's, I really think that is, it is that social pressure. So you can, you can feel pretty independent one moment and then the next, yeah, be hijacked because, mm-hmm. and not even realize you, you could see yourself as a very strong, independent spirit and, mm-hmm. and then not realize at some point, because you've decided that these, you know, person A, B and C have such authority. They're looked up, you know, have such respect there, you know, they, people look mm-hmm. up to them. So I must follow what they say, because what they say um, must be right. So I'm going to just put aside what, you know, everything that I think or believe or feel or intuitively get, it's like you shut it all down. Mm. That it's, it's the opposite. I think there's so many reasons that play into, it is the social, it is not wanting to be perceived as negative. It's, it's, oh my gosh, I, you know, I, I'm so used to knowing what my life is like. I feel like if I turn, uh, do a 180, I'm, I'm going to lose myself and I'll never regain who I, who I was before, uh, because mm-hmm. I like who I was before. And I really don't want to change that. And so there's this identity crisis, you know, I think that comes in without them realizing it's an identity mm-hmm. crisis. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that pivot, that pivotal moment when they're either going to keep exploring or they're mm-hmm. jumping finally make a decision already and follow what the rest of the crowd is doing. Yeah. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about health and intuition. There was this great term. It was uh, spiritual immunity. Um, I believe is how it was, it was phrased. And that really intrigues me. And you and I earlier today, and I, I, I think I probably mentioned earlier on the show or on another show, we were talking about that, that, that connection between the mind and body. Um, and modern life and modern governments try to really separate um, your, you know, body and soul, mind and spirit, you know, brain and intuition, I guess, and, and, and religion and science, all of that. But really, they are so beautifully intertwined. They really should not be separated. And in the realm of health, um, even more so. And we discuss the fact that people can really, um, you say, oh, you know, grandma's been taking care of grandpa for three years now, and he's got severe dementia. She's under so much stress. I'm really concerned about her health, right? People fully understand that stress can cause disease. Stress can undermine your health. Stress can lead to your death, an, an early untimely death. But if you begin to speak the opposite and say, let's relieve the stress, let's do some meditation, let's find some peace, let's do this and that, and you can heal, you can reverse disease, you can heal um, heart disease and things 
using just that, you know, the happiness and the, and the grounding and all that. And they roll their eyes and it's like, no, no, no. So they believe the negative about the mind-body connection, but they have a harder time grasping the positive about the mind-body connection, right? Now, t- tell us your PhD, Javier. You are a PhD in neurobiology? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I think you represent a great uh, balance of, okay, tell us how the brain works and that energy of a thought. I mean, what is a thought? What the heck is really a thought, Javier? Tell me, well, what is a thought? I'll, I'll get to it once we once we actually get an idea of what it actually is. We still don't know. There's still a great big debate, and it's called the hard question. You know, consciousness is the is the, the hard question because there's two camps, ones that, ones that believe that Consciousness is an epiphenomena that is it's generated by the by the entire activity of the brain and that it's, you know, once once the brain shuts down, that's it. And there's the the other one that says no consciousness is separate. And this is just, you know, part and parcel of the entire universe. Mm -hmm. So mind and body connection is very real. There's a whole field called called psychoneuroimmunology looking at the effect the brain has on the immune system. Psychoneuroimmunology. Yeah. And wow. by the way, That's by the way, Danny, I just went to the website and I saw the people that you interviewed and you have got some power hitters on there for, the, for, for that entire <laughs> series. Dear Lord. I mean, those are just incredible experts, uh, you know, with and without degrees. Yeah. Just amazing. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I, I, right here, we've got the perfect marriage of. Of, of, of science and mystery and energy. And it really, it really works. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever it is, we can't explain it by science. And, and I mean, I just love the idea of, you know, when they invented like microscopes and the closer they look at matter, the more matter disappears and just becomes energy. And so that to me lends itself to the fact that all things are connected and that energy is connected. And it's not just my energy that's isolated from the rest of energy. My energy is connected to your energy. And, um, you know, and we've, we found ways to utilize it in different ways. It comes in so many different forms, but um, yeah, we get down to the really essence of who we are. What is thought? Now that one always just like, you can't grasp it. You can't. Well, we do talk in the film, we talk about consciousness, little C and big C. And it was, yeah, what you were just saying. And, uh, you know, they're still exploring. There are no conclusions in this film. (laughs) It's it's really, it is an exploration. But the point of it is, is we're bringing in the left brain and the right brains together. We're saying the science and true science, right? Not bought science. Not bought science. This is not bought science. These people are using either their own money or they're getting, you know, funds from people who believe in the work that they're doing and, uh, you know, not by some of these larger foundations and governments and corporations and so forth. And so um, they're, yeah. So we're bringing in the science because, well, at the time when I was creating this, I thought, you know, people see science seems to be important to people. Right. And now, sadly, they're just confusing fake science with real science. And, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, say, well, you know, the CDC says this, it's, it's science, it's in the science. It's like, well, are, you're talking about paid science right now. And which, of course, that 
it's very upsetting for them to hear. Um, but this is real science that we're <laughs> yeah people, and they don't draw any false conclusions or lead you any particular place. It's it's a constant, uh, you know, for the whole their whole lives they expect they'll be studying this and and pass the baton on. And, and try to figure out how it actually works. What is a thought? Where does it come from? And there are attempts at explanations about what that is, but we also can see study after study after study, the result of thought. And to kind of circle back on where you were headed with the health, you know, in, in our pilot, uh, the power of the intuitive, we have a gal, Annalise Reed, who comes in and she was, uh, faced with a disease that they doctors, the white codes said, you will die, prepare mm. your life in order. Mm. It's time for you to go. She was young. And, mm. and she fortunately had already been doing work in the natural health realm. And she knew I'm not going to listen to that. I'm just not. That's just, it's, that's one perspective. I already know from my experience that people do heal uh, they can heal, and I'm going to do, and that's exactly what she did. Fantastic, yeah. So, and it, yeah. Was, it had to do with her mindset. She mm-hmm. did not go into a state of panic or fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, all her whole family, they were preparing for her to die, and she wasn't. <laughs> She wasn't preparing to die. I love that. And, you know, I, this is a great place. I want to share one more of the trailers that you have on the website because it is about fear. And you say it's our solution to feeling fear. So I'm. it's just 44 seconds here. I'm going to go ahead and play this one. If we could melt fear with love, we can make this planet a paradise, in my opinion. How do we build a little bit of heaven to earth, to be in service to others, to be in service to your own soul, to also give and receive, and notice I say receive, give and receive as much compassion as humanly possible. As you move into gratitude, you move out of fear. That takes a leap of faith unless you tap into your intuition. You tap into your intuition and all of a sudden, there's no longer any faith or trust required. It simply is. I love that. That is so cool. <laughs> that gave me the chills. <laughs> but yeah, there was, um, yeah, it, it, that one was popular. That was people really inspiring. I feel like if anything, you know, if people are interested in the science, because people, we, all of this was programmed out of us. It was a very purposeful thing. And in our, our movie actually talks about one of the main turning points as to when that occurred, who was in charge of that. (laughs) And, you know, to basically say, all right, you know what? You are no longer going to be listening to God yourself. You're going to go through me. Mm -hmm. All this science stuff, which they called natural philosophers in those days, you know, not quite scientists yet. You are going to only work on that, which is tangible. All the invisible stuff goes through me. And you're going to now speak. If you want to speak to God, you speak through me. Mm. And so that's where they purposefully started disconnecting. And we, we, at one point we finally bought into it, you know, mm. fortunately, fortunately, not everybody. Cause somehow I didn't, you know, like I must've come from some ancestors at some point that didn't, you know, that weren't okay with that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. And so 
it, it is a purposeful thing. And there's a, there's a trailer, I'm not sure if you're queued up to it, but there's a trailer right on our homepage that talks about uh, people wanting power over us. And that's exactly what's happening today. <laughs> it couldn't be more obvious. Yeah, I, I can play that one. Let me go ahead and grab that one from the homepage. Uh, and while you're Go doing ahead. that, mm -hmm. um, there, you know, the, this whole movement towards what they call material uh, reductionist materialism mm -hmm. uh, was a process that had been begun since the late 1700s and really started to catch a lot of uh, steam uh, right about after the uh, Civil War in the United States. Uh, and there were a lot of esoteric schools of thought and a lot of um, uh, spiritual schools of thought that were looking at this in alarm, uh, thinking, what is going to happen? when they convince enough people around the world that they're nothing but uh, meat robots, that it's just everything is meaningless and you know nothing that you do is matter. Everything is just material and the spiritual stuff, please ignore it. It's just you befooling yourself. And so oh, there's a concerted movement to basically say, hold on, you think you can open up your eyes wide enough and you know grow up your ear big enough to see and hear everything that's going on? So that's that's a whole nother, I mean, this this is really a concerted effort by a lot of institutions to mm -hmm. convince people of that. Yeah, yeah. So here's there's that. Uh, we'll play the trailer. We're all equally powerful. You have been programmed not to have power. It wasn't always this way. The taboo is uh, partially an outgrowth of the Enlightenment when the church and science split. Everyone has a sense of intuition. It's just a matter of how much do you choose to listen to it. Although it's become languaged as our sixth sense, this is our first sense. It's very, very rare to find anywhere in the world using scientific approaches to studying these phenomena, even though most people actually have these experiences. How much time do we spend exploring what's within? Empathy, feeling what others are feeling through the magnetic energetic interactions. These are all examples of energetic sensitivity. You are an intuitive being. That is your birthright. This is something that's actually testable. It's about our human evolution. This is why it's so important in today's world that we get on track with our deeper intelligence. Maybe you've experienced where you were totally at a loss and synchronicity started to pop up everywhere. We don't have to connect because we're automatically connected. Here we are like a speck of dust in all of this with our own channel to the divine. Western education and Western religion tend to deny our own internal intuition and our own deep validity. Let's change the culture that looks at it as some kind of a problem. This is a very empowering understanding but it calls us to accept our responsibility joyously as co-creators of our realities and therefore responsibility for how we are with the world. Co-creators, I like that, co-creators of our reality. Um, yeah, very powerful. And, you know, I've got to say, though, like moving, there's a different culture around religion um and it it can be self-empowering and it can be very strong i've noticed that you know here in tennessee there's um there's like a church every like half mile you know <laughs> but the individuals all seem like they have a personal connection with god yeah. and they they act upon what they feel is right as their 
part of it. They're not just putting their faith and trust in some entity and then not being part of that energy, right? They might use a different language, but I believe that they're, um, I, I witness them living it and trusting themselves, but their, their form of worship and then going to church is their connection with that higher power that connects them all. Right. And I think that's, that's a great truest form of it, but often it, it becomes, it becomes corrupted where, you know, whatever those people say, they're more directing you and depowering you. Um, And that is very dangerous. Yeah. And, and there is something about the people where they can finally decide, you know, I'm, I'm going to take this on spiritually. I feel mm-hmm. like we're talking about the difference between religion and spirituality, you know, from my mm-hmm. perspective is that religion, if it had its way, it would continue to control the people, but the people have to decide, well, is that what I want? Or do I want to control my own life, make my own decisions, do things my way and mm-hmm. still take on the spiritual feeling and spiritual way of life mm-hmm. that, and then they may use some religious terms, but to your point, how are they using it? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really matter, you know, what you call yourself, as long as you're, I feel like you, you have taken on it. You have full, um, you have a full understanding and a full use of spirituality and mm-hmm. you use it for every decision, every every business decision, every personal decision, every relationship decision that that you know you take on that responsibility because just as you said, co-create. Mm-hmm. It's a combination of being led by source and you on this planet doing your work as a, a living soul. And all seven billion of us have that capacity. You know, it and it, you know, and and I'm just reminded of like some of the great documents, humanitarian documents, even our constitution. We have inalienable rights. We are born with the right to breathe, to be free, to be happy, to make choices. Each of us individually, we don't hand that over to somebody else to decide for us. And, and, and we, I think we have, the world has gotten into the mess that we're in, Um, especially like, I mean, some of the best, some of the nations that have done the best through this whole COVID chaos have been the less developed nations that have more sense of community. They might not have a lot of money, but they have a great strong sense of community um, and a healthy disregard for outside forces trying to tell them what to do. <laughs> um, you well, know, I also, I also feel that they've got uh, a sense of spirituality. Yeah, That's part of their culture, and that is it. It's in everything they do, but every move, every thought, every every piece of them is mm-hmm. it, it comes from that spiritual sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the words that they choose, and so for somebody to come in, you know, if if you've ever been in that frame of um, deep connectedness. And all of a sudden, you're you're now presented in this world where nobody's really connected. They're just disconnected with life, their thoughts, their choices. And you're like, Ugh, yeah, this is, this is an icky feeling. I don't yeah. like this. And so I would imagine you want to pop back into that world, that spiritual connection that you had as quick mm-hmm. as you can. Yeah. So you know, if you get the luxury these days, I feel like it's a luxury 
to to really feel the difference between the two my mm-hmm. hope is that people choose to take the, the more spiritual direction yeah i love that it and it's so empowering it might be a little scary at first but the more you embrace it and i think i've been on this road my whole life i think you and i are very much alike in that way um danny and um but the more i think about it and and look at your work the more i really feel that this is the way to go. It's part of the healing solution for the planet. So we've got like one more minute. Um, Last thoughts here. I'm going to tell people to go to superpowerfilm.com to learn more and learn how they can watch your films. Anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I, I just feel like if you, okay, if you get on to our mailing list, we do have monthly programs where you'll actually get to see my face. Okay, <laughs> good. And we bring in the experts that are in the film and we talk about either the work that they're working on currently or dive deeper into the work that they talk about in the film. But it's a chance for people to also ask their questions. And, you know, if you're if you're even just exploring this, I think it's really important to, um, you know, give it give it a real Give it a real chance. That sounds great. So everybody go to superpowerfilm.com, sign up for the newsletters, uh, check it out. And I want you all to have a healthy, happy, intuitive weekend and go out and enjoy nature, enjoy your loved ones. You've been listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. We'll be back next week. Bye, Bernadette. Bye. Bye. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. 
Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.